walking and thinking and walking is the the heading on chapter two of Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit. The chapter two is entitled The Mind at Three Miles an Hour. And maybe I am walking at three miles an hour. I'm certainly walking some of my way through this book. So continuing the reading. Soren Kierkegaard is the other philosopher who has much to say about walking and thinking. He chose cities, or one city, Copenhagen, as his place to walk and study his human subjects. Although he compared his urban tours to rural botanizing, human beings were the specimens he gathered. Born a hundred years Later, in another Protestant city, he had a life in some ways utterly unlike Rousseau's. The harsh aesthetic standards he set for himself could not be less like Rousseau's self-indulgence, and he kept to his birthplace, to his family, and to his religion throughout his life, though he quarrelled with them all. In another... In other respects, in his social isolation, his prolific writing of works, both literary and philosophical, his chaffing self-consciousness, the resemblance is strong. The son of a wealthy and grimly devout merchant, Kierkegaard lived off his inheritance and under his father's thumb for most of his life. In a memory he he ascribes to one of his pseudonyms, but which is almost certainly his own, he tells of how his father, rather than let him leave the house, would walk back and forth in a room with him, describing the world so vividly that the boys seemed to see the variety evoked. As the boy grew older, his father let him join in. Quote, what had at first been an epic now became a drama. They converted, conversed in turn. If they were walking along well-known paths, they watched one another sharply to make sure that nothing was overlooked. If the way was strange to Johannes, he invented something, whereas the father's almighty imagination was capable of shaping everything, of using every childish whim as an ingredient of the drama. To Johannes, it seemed as if the world were coming into existence during the conversation, as if the father were the Lord God and he was his favourite. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, a father and son co-creating, that's what I call it, co-creating a story or a description or an account, piece of narrative or whatever it was, that kind of co-creating. It reminds me of the, I suppose, relatively short period, but precious period 
to me, during which I co-created stories with my daughter, in which, uh, during which I asked her fairly frequently, and, and what, and what happens next? How on earth can this character climb up that cliff face and reach safety on top of the island? And she would uh, say what uh, would happen, and I would continue with the story. Anyway, back to Kierkegaard. The triangle between Kierkegaard, his father, and his god would consume his life. Sometimes it seems that he made his god in his father's image. With these walks in the room, his father seemed to be consciously shaping the strange character Kierkegaard would become. He described himself as already an old man in childhood, as a ghost, as a wanderer. And this pacing back and forth seems to have been instruction in living in a disembodied magical realm of the imagination that had only one real inhabitant, himself. Even the myriad pseudonyms under which he published many of his best-known works seemed devices to lose himself while revealing himself and to make a crowd out of his solitude. To make a crowd out of his solitude. Throughout his adult life, Kierkegaard almost never received guests at home. And indeed, throughout his life... He almost never had anyone he could call a friend, though he had a vast acquaintance. One of his nieces says that the streets of Copenhagen were his reception room, and Kierkegaard's great daily pleasure seems to have been walking the streets of his city. It was a way to be among people for a man who could not be with them. A way to bask in the faint human warmth of brief encounters, acquaintances, greetings, and overheard conversations. A lone walker is both present and detached from the world around. More than an audience, but less than a participant. Walking assuages or legitimizes this alienation. One is mildly disconnected because one is walking, not because one is incapable of connecting. Walking provided Kierkegaard, like Rousseau, with a wealth of casual contacts with his fellow humans, and it facilitated contemplation. Let me pause there. Let me pause there. It's a little tricky walking here. I could well stumble over an uneven piece of earth and stone and go flying that's my that's what's making me a little nervous and being drawn along by Kierkegaard the the imagination of Kierkegaard either walking up and down the room with his father or else walking in a solitary way through his city in a funny way as if I walked in a solitary way through Limerick where I was brought up, where I lived until I was nearly 18, and which I visited during the time that I was at university. 
the most um, the most engaging idea I ever had about walking in company was the idea of two school friends miking ourselves up and going walking for a day in Limerick where we both grew up walking, talking no, nothing planned and, and continuously capturing whatever there was to capture both ambient sound and spoken words that was an idea I hatched at one stage in a way it was years it was years ago now I've come to a place where it's tricky to get over the fence and I now need to undo is that right? Hey, oh no, I'm okay I'm now standing on brambles trying to avoid nettles opening the gate <clears throat> am I walking into a field that has a pony and have I got a horse with me that's not a great idea here Louis come here I think we have to go back here oh my goodness is coming in our direction which may mean that the horse is curious but if somebody came along and I'm also unsure about what would happen come on come on through here I guess when you go walking you encounter gates that you need to open and you might well encounter animals so there we're now sorted but this is uh, indeed a, an adventure oh here's two horses well one is a pony must be about 13, 2, and the other looks like a mare. But how do I know? I haven't done any anatomical. I'm assuming that they're, that they're kind of mother and a foal. Okay, time to have a little break and resume more about Kierkegaard very shortly. So far, Rebecca Solnit hasn't said anything about sitting. She said something about walking, she said something about thinking, she said something about imagining, but nothing about thinking. And, and I'm thinking that what would be lovely now would be a bench. And a bench to sit on so as to ruminate. But instead I have to make sure 
that the dog returns to base rather than run up there so there'll be a loud whistle. And he comes running fast. Right, I have to put him on a lead now because my daughter is coming with her pony and she will definitely... Now you see, you meet people on the walk. We don't have a description. By Kierkegaard or Russo, that I can remember. So far, of meeting a person on the road, a description of that person, and a, a report of what happened in the conversation. In Ireland, when you meet somebody on the trail and you're walking, the very least you do is salute them. And that is something like saying hi the blackberries are are now ripe or ripening In 1837, just as his literary work was beginning, Kierkegaard wrote, Strangely enough, my imagination works best when I'm sitting alone in a large assemblage, where the tumult and noise require a substratum of will if the imagination is to hold on to its object. Without this environment, it blends to death in the exhausting embrace of an indefinite idea. Strangely enough, my imagination works best when I am sitting alone in a large assemblage where the tumult and noise require a substratum of will if the imagination is to hold on to its object. Without this environment, it bleeds to death in this exhausting embrace of an indefinite idea. Wow. He found the same tumult on the street. More than a decade later, he declared in another journal, in order to bear mental tensions such as mine, I need diversion. The diversion of chance contacts on the streets and alleys because association with a few exclusive individuals is actually no diversion. In these and other statements, he proposes that the mind works best when surrounded by distraction, that it focuses that it focuses in the act of withdrawing from surrounding bustle rather than being isolated from it. He reveled in the turbulent variety of city life, saying elsewhere, the very moment 
there is an organ grinder down the street playing and singing. It is wonderful. And it is the accidental and insignificant things in life which are significant. It is the accidental and insignificant things in life which are significant. A very quotable quote, and one I can sign up to very easily. In his journals, he insists that he composed all his works afoot. Quote, Many, most of either, or was written only twice, besides, of course, what I thought through while walking. That is always the case. Nowadays, I like to write three times, says one passage. And there are many like it, protesting that although his extensive walks were perceived as signs of idleness, they were, in fact, the foundation of his prolific work. The recollections of others show him during his pedestrian encounters, but there must have been long solitary intervals in which he could compose his thoughts and rehearse the day's writing. I bet you he used to talk to himself. I bet you he'd walk along out loud saying to himself stuff like this is an steepish hill steeper than I have walked before steep hills are the best anyway who knows who knows perhaps it was only that the city strolls distracted him so that he could forget himself enough to think more productively for his private thoughts are often convolutions of self-consciousness and despair In a journal passage from 1848, that's the year of revolution in Europe, he described how in his, on his way home, overwhelmed with ideas ready to be written down, and in a sense so weak that I could scarcely walk, he would often encounter a poor man. And if he refused to speak with him, the ideas would flee. And I would walk into the most dreadful spiritual turbulation at the idea that God could do with me what I had done to that man. But if I took the time to talk with that poor man, things never went away. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful concentration on Kierkegaard. I barely, I barely touched on him in my life, except that I know... He was very important to Nietzsche, who I have talked about before. Being out in public gave him about his only social role, and he fretted over how his performance on the stage of Copenhagen would be interpreted. In a way, his appearances on the street were like his appearances on the printed page, endeavours to be in touch, but not too closely and on his own terms. Like Rousseau, he had an exacting relationship with the public. He chose to publish many of his works under pseudonyms and then to complain that he was considered an idler since none knew he went home from his roamings to write. After he broke off his engagement with Regine Olsen in what was to be the defining tragedy of his life, 
He continued to see her on the street, but nowhere else. Years later, they would both appear repeatedly at the same time on a portside street, and he worried over what this meant. The street, which is the most casual arena for people with full private lives, was the most personal for him. The other great crisis in his uneventful life came when he wrote a small attack on Denmark's scurrilous satirical magazine, The Corsair. Though its editor admired him, the magazine began to publish mocking pictures and photographs about him, and paragraphs about him. And the Copenhagen public took up the joke. Many of the jokes were mild enough They depicted him as having trouser legs of uneven lengths, made fun of his elaborate pseudonyms and compositional style, published pictures of him as a spry figure in a frock coat that belled out around his spiky legs. But the parodies made him better known than he wished to be. Achingly anxious about being mocked, and seeing mockery everywhere. Kierkegaard seems to have exaggerated the effect of the Corsair jabs and suffered horribly, not least because he no longer felt free to roam the city. Quote, My atmosphere has been tainted for me because of my melancholy and my enormous work, because of my melancholy and my enormous work, I needed a situation of solitude in the crowd in order to rest. So I despair. I can no longer find it. Curiosity surrounds me everywhere. One of his biographers says that it was this final crisis of his life, after those of his father and his fiancée, that pushed him into... His last phase as a theologian rather than a philosophical and aesthetic writer. Nevertheless, he continued to walk the streets of Copenhagen and it was on one of those walks that he collapsed and was taken to hospital where he died some weeks later. Like Rousseau, Kierkegaard is a hybrid. I must pause for a minute. Put the dog on the lead. Otherwise you roam. You roam freely in the stables and other animals get nervous. Like Rousseau, Kierkegaard is a hybrid, a philosophical writer rather than a, 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 a philosophical writer rather than a philosophical a, a philosopher proper. Their work is descriptive, evocative, personal, and and ethically and politically ambiguous, in sharp contrast to the closely reasoned argument central to the Western philosophical tradition. It has room for delight and personality and something as specific as the sound of an organ grinder in a street or rabbits on an island. Rousseau branched out into the novel 
the autobiography and the reverie and play with forms and play with forms was central to Kierkegaard's work creating a massive postscript to a relatively short essay layering synonymous writers like Chinese boxes within his texts as a writer his heirs seem to be literary experimentalists like Italo Calvino and Jorge Luis, Luis Borges who play with the waveform voice relevance reverence or reverence and other devices shape meaning Rousseau and Kierkegaard's walking is only accessible to us because they wrote about it in more personal, descriptive and specific works. Rousseau's Confessions and Reviews, Kierkegaard's Journals, rather than staying in the... Excuse me, I'm moving the book around so that I can hold it more securely. Let me start again. Rousseau and Kierkegaard's walking is only accessible to us because they wrote about it in more personal, descriptive and specific works. Rousseau's confessions and reveries, Kierkegaard's journals, rather than staying in the impersonal and universal realm of philosophy at its most pure. Perhaps it is because walking is itself a way of grounding one's thoughts in a personal and embodied experience of the world that it lends itself to this kind of writing. This is why the meaning of walking is mostly discussed elsewhere than in philosophy. In poetry, novels, letters, diaries, travellers' accounts and first-person essays. I'm thinking of walking tours by, I think by Addison, which I did at school as, a, as an essay. Two, these eccentrics focus on walking as a means of modulating their alienation. And this kind of alienation was a new phenomenon in, in intellectual history. They were neither immersed in the society around them, nor, save in Kierkegaard's later years, after the Corsair affair, withdrawn from the tradition of the religious contemplative. They were in the world, but not of it. A solitary walker, however short, has a solitary walker, however short his or her route, is unsettled between places, drawn forth into action by desire and lack, having the detachment of the traveller rather than the ties of the worker, the dweller, the member of a group. End of section three of chapter two. And we're going on after this to move closer into the 20th century. And I see George Orwell's name mentioned. We'll see what's happening in the section called The Missing Subject later. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very, very well. That's good. Really well. It's utterly...